На трибунах олеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона Разноцветные майки... Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. The RPL turned into buses this week. You wait ages for one and then two come at once. We've had two match weekends played since we last recorded. With me this week is once again is Richard Pike. Hello guys, how are we all? And the newly recognised official Russian citizen, Andrei Flinsky. First of all, congrats on that, mate. I know it's quite arduous <laughs> and it's quite an expensive process, but congratulations, of course. Well, thank you very much. Not actually quite full citizen yet, but permanent resident. So I have a Russian passport of sorts. So... Yeah, very much appreciated. Thanks, guys, and great to be on. So until then, it's still just Andrew Flint playing old boring English name. Yeah, unfortunately, I haven't got a patronymic yet. Um, otherwise, I would have become Andrew Rogerovich Jamovich Flint, I think, probably. <laughs> that sounds great. So much better than our names. <laughs> so with the rumour mill hotting up of late, there's been a few big name additions to the RPL. First of all, we're going to focus on just a few of the big transfer stories and rumours doing the rounds. Last weekend, Loco announced they had finally captured their man in what turned out to be quite a saga in the shape of Guinean forward Francois Camino, who signed for Bordeaux for 5.5 million euros. Now, Richard, you followed this one quite closely. Do you think this will be an exciting signing for the Railroaders? Uh, it certainly looks like um, they could have found um, a very good player here in Camano. Um, I looked at his goal record recently um, in uh, Ligue 1. Uh, goal and assist record, and he, he noted um, eight goals and five assists in 35 league on games in 2017-18, and 10 goals in 37 games in 2018-19 for uh, Bordeaux. Um, I mean, in, in 2019-20, uh, it does look like he, he dropped off in form, went a bit cooler from the hot streak of the two seasons before. Um, however, if Loco can uh, refine the form, or refine uh, Camano's form from 2017-19, to 19, they could have quite a player on their hands, um, not just a player who will only help them in the um, RPL either, a player who could give them something different in the Champions League as well. Um, from what I've seen of him online, he looks like he's um, in highlights. He looks like he's got very good dribbling ability. Um, he carries the ball well with pace and um, crucially he can finish as well. Some of his goals, have, um, I saw some clips from 2018-19 season where he scored 10 and some of his goals were lovely cut inside runs in the left flank and a beautiful finish on his preferred uh, right foot. Um, certainly gives Loco someone fast and mobile in their attack um, as you know you could probably make the suggestion that their attack possibly lacked that in the past um, from wide areas so yeah really looking forward to seeing him play in the RPL um, to get him for 5.5 million euros is a pretty good price uh, when he was informed two years ago at Bordeaux there were reported interest in him from um, clubs in England um, I heard Arsenal and Liverpool were supposedly mentioned so this could be a coup if they can get the Camano from two years ago back yeah, hopefully. And it seems like it's such a low price because of Bordeaux's own issues themselves. They have some real bad financial issues, especially brought on by the coronavirus outbreak. And Myself, I've, been, I've watched a little bit of Camano, not a great amount, to be quite honest, but I kept a little eye on Bordeaux after, of course, Josh Madger, the ex-Sunderland player, moved there just to see how he was doing. And Camano was one of the ones who really caught my eye, especially, as you mentioned, his pace and trickery is, is hopefully could be quite exciting to bring in. Now, another one. Straight up after that, Dinamo Moscow were hot on Loco's trails and about an hour later announced the signing of Nikola Morrow from Dinamo Zagreb. And that was for a reported eight and a half million euros. Now, for those with Google and the inbuilt translator are hopefully affluent in Russian, there's a very good tactical analysis of what Morrow could bring to Dinamo, published by our friends at Regista.one. Now, like I say, that is in Russian, but go and give it a read, give it a translate, whatever. It's, it's a really good and really interesting insight in how he plays as a player. 
so Andrew, first this time, do Dinamo need some extra quality in their midfield, do you think? Um, well, Nicola Moore's reputation is speaks for itself. He's very, very well sought after by a lot of clubs. But in the midfield, do they need more quality? I don't know, really. I mean, uh, for me, their forward line actually is pretty decent. What they need is somebody who can stand up a bit more. Sebastian Szymanski, for me, is a really talented player. But for me, his big drawback, and I don't want to be too blunt about this, but he's he's just not really stocky enough for my liking. Um, he gets knocked off the ball a little bit um, too easily. Although, he does have quality on the ball. Nicola Moro, I haven't seen him play a great deal, I admit. But to get a player of that age and that quality has got can only really improve them. And... I think actually a defensive midfielder to replace uh, Charles Cabaret for me is is he's been a good player in Russia, but I think I, I think he's lost his confidence somehow. I don't know. He's not really impressed me a great deal. So I don't think midfielder overall improving the midfield is not a bad thing, but I don't think it's quite the attacking midfield that they needed more the um, defensive midfield area. Uh, but even then, I don't think they really needed it. So we'll see if he ends up being as good as we are led to believe it probably will be a good signing, but um, uh, possibly a luxury signing, but it might be a worthwhile one. I do think that I, I agree with that. Dinamo's midfield is often at times quite light or in Kabore's age, who's sometimes a tank. He's, he's, he's just on the wrong end of 30 now. He's, he's kind of getting towards the twilight of his career. And I think he's really suffering, to be quite honest, of the post-Krasnodar stress disorder in that players often who come away from places like Krasnodar where so much is prepared for them where so much around like the the, the place so differently to everybody else and and the, so far advanced is that a lot of players come away from teams like that and do tend to struggle to adapt to a different system especially after being there for such a long time and I was quite surprised when Dinamo released Neustadter to be honest he wasn't great last season he was all right but He's a player who has that sort of a little bit of extra class and has a little bit of extra experience of European competition. I thought he would have came quite useful for Dinamo, of course, in Europe this season. But if the long-term plan was to get rid of that little fella who's also on the wrong end of 30 and replace him with Morrow, who has European experience, who has a future, he has potential, he's got great sell-on value if the the reports are correct. And I watched him against Manchester City for, for Zagreb last year and he was absolutely brilliant. He bossed that game. Zagreb lost because they played Man City, but he was excellent. He was by far the best player on the pitch in a in a blue and white shirt. Now, Richard, as a Dinamo follower yourself, are you, are you quite excited about the signing? Yeah, it's another deal that I'm I'm looking forward to seeing. Um, Dinamo's formation, this four two three one that looked like they've been playing, um, looks like it'll slot in alongside Daniel Forman deeper um, as a you know a creative deep midfielder. He debuted for about twenty minutes or so against uh, Rostov as well um, in the in Dinamo's two 0 win and. And I think Morrow showed some nice touches in that game. Uh, he wasn't on the pitch very long in its early days, but he showed some nice touches. He could do the defensive work needed. Two of the midfield players he showed on occasions. You know, playmakers obviously have to do that. And, you know, he can... Midfield playmakers have to do that now. And also he can get forward to support the attack too when needed. Um, he looks to be a transitional player, I think, Morrow. Someone who, you know, can help change defence to offence quickly. Uh, I can't wait to see him start some uh, some games soon. Um Dinamo could have a very good player on their hands here, you know. Um, played against likes of Man City and Atalanta in the Champions League lately. Part of the Dinamo Zagreb side, I think in 2018-19, which had a good run in Europe, I think to the, I think it was last 16 of the Europa League, I think. So it looks exciting and um, Dinamo look um, 
a lot more younger and more vibrant this season. I mean, just coming on the Kabore thing, I think they'll probably just get one more year out of him. I think he's been okay. I watched um, I've watched all three of Dino's games so far this season. And I think he's been okay. He's not the player he was at Krastadar, but I think for just one more year, I mean, I felt Dino were correct releasing a lot of the other midfield players that were getting on a bit like Yusupov and Sosnin, but I think it's useful to keep one or two of them around and um Vladimir Moskvichev has come back from loan, so it'll be interesting to see. He's a defensive midfielder. It'll be interesting to see if he's only got one year left on his contract like Kabore. So it'll be interesting to see if they bring in a player there next season. But um, I think for the time being, I think Kabore, they'll probably get one more year out of him. Um, but yeah, long term, it's not really a plan. So I think maybe they'll look at that position yeah. next year. It's interesting that you say that about them being more transitional, because I think that's maybe what Dinamo expected Arta Yusupov to be when they signed him on, on from Rostov. And he kind of never was after he suffered that cruciate ligament injury and was just not the same player whatsoever. But Moro is just a very Zlatko Bruvec signing. He's now he was obviously famous for being Klopp's assistant for years, fifteen years or so. And he took over as Dinamo sporting director. And this is very much his imprint coming in straight away. He's a it's a big Balkan lad who seems who's got very, very good potential and should fit into the play that Dinamo have been playing, which is obviously implemented down by Buvac. Now, finally, after the aforementioned Kamano's introduction, we could perhaps expedite maybe Alexei Baranchuk's move abroad. Now, rumours have just intensified more and more this week after he scored an exquisite overhead goal against, against Krasnodar. Andrew, just how good was that? Oh, I tell you what, this boy is spectacular. He really has a huge amount of talent. And if he has the right manager, the right team, and it's a lot of this, I know, but he really could become one of the best Russian exports if he if he makes the move at the right time. And I think now probably is about the right time. He's been playing in the Champions League um, for, what, two or three years now. Um, but this goal, I mean, it was this, is a, this was a big game. Lokomotiv against Krasnodar are two of the, well, I won't quite say title rivals because I just don't think Zanit will have actual genuine rivals for the, to win the league this year because they're so far ahead of everybody else. But they are the next best teams, really. Um, and, you know, a ball comes in. Now, when, you, when you've got a cross coming in behind you, back to goal, it would be understandable to simply lay it off, um, bring it down, see what other options are on. Miranchuk had one thought in his mind. His first touch was just, it was just out of this world, wasn't it? Unbelievable. Um, and he he brings it down, sending Kyle Pantelau the wrong way. And to be fair, it made Kyle look stupid, but it wasn't his fault at all. Nobody could have predicted that. Um, and, you know, he comes in and he, he slots it past Safanov. I think, I think Miranchuk seriously is... Uh, he's got he's got potential for this boy to be seriously seriously good. Um, I think Rich has been following his progress, you know, interest in him slightly more closely than I have. But I mean, interest in him from the top five leagues for me is not unwarranted at all. And I don't quite think he could slot straight into a say Juventus Real Madrid side right now. But um, pretty much anybody below that level, and and he could do a really seriously good job. So potentially go all the way to the top. Now, Richard. The- could you run us through the latest rumours regarding this reported move? This seems to be either AC Milan or Atalanta, but definitely Serie A sides in the driving seat right now. Yeah, I just 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 to reiterate, what a great goal that was. I mean, the touch to bring it down, a nice, cool, deft finish um, beyond the goalkeeper was was brilliant. It was you know superb bit of skill. Um, so um, you know, just just 
epitomizes the guy and um yeah i think he's definitely ready for a move abroad now i think you know he's probably you know the one of the elite players now in the rpl without without question um and okay so what has happened uh to uh Mirantuk regarding rumors is that on tuesday news broke or early tuesday afternoon that atalanta were in pole position to to sign Mirantuk and apparently a fee of uh 18 million euros plus bonuses um, was set to be agreed with Lokomotiv for the transfer. I also saw something that Miranchuk had been offered um, in terms of salary, a deal about worth about 1.5 million euros uh, per year. I probably assume that's after tax. Um, and these reports on Tuesday also state that a deal from Milan's side had frozen over a cash plus player swap deal, which could have seen Diego Laxalt, Milan's Uruguayan left-back move to Locomotive as part of the deal. Reports have suggested that there were difficulties in relation to Laxalt's salary demands when it came to moving to Locomotive. Recent developments on Wednesday, though, told a different story. Apparently, Milan have now sent a new offer to Locomotive for Miranchuk uh, to try and get ahead of Atalanta and also another new arrival on the scene reportedly Roma for Miranchuk's uh, signature. There was also something I saw regarding Atalanta, and this is quite important, that apparently they have a strong um, stance on this. They have a salary structure at the club, and to accommodate Miranchuk, they are not prepared to go over that salary structure. Now, I'm not sure whether that figure I quoted earlier is over that salary structure, but they do have a salary ceiling in place. Um, and the other major sticking point is that whilst I don't think Miranchuk would refuse Atalanta if, you know, with them having Champions League football and with them being a really exciting side to watch. I mean, they score goals galore, as we've seen in Serie A this season. I do feel that it's probably even reported that the player's preference is Milan, you know, and it's obviously understandable why, even though Atalanta finished ahead of Milan in the last two seasons, they're still a bigger club, a much more famous club, much more historical um, reputation, and also possibly even the chance to live in Milan itself. Um, it looks to me like what's happened now with this news on Wednesday that's broken about Milan now desperate to get get uh, beat Atalanta to transfer Miranchuk. It's basically Milan, I think, now possibly accepting that, you know, it's offering another foreign player as part of exchange to Locomotive is neither use nor ornament to Locomotive. Is that, you know, they've already got 10 foreign players with Kamala arriving now. They're already two players over the limit. So maybe... Atalanta's offer is probably a situation and, you know, Milan not being able to get anywhere by offering a player part exchange, it's probably looked like the hand's no force and they probably could have now gone back and matched Atalanta's offer. Um, this could be a fascinating few weeks ahead to see what Miranchuk does. Um, I really hope he does go abroad to echo uh, what we've all been saying on the chat recently. Um, he needs to go abroad now. I think it is his time and I think 18 million, 20 million euros, that's what the price is reportedly around. That's a fair price, I think, for a player with one year left on his contract and it represents a nice profit for Locomotive as well. They can go out then and find a replacement and possibly even upgrade another area of their squad. So, yeah, but yeah, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks coming ahead, I think. Yeah, certainly. And then uh, you can just tell just after he scored that goal, the, the rumours just intensified more and more. And to be honest, this time last week, I had my doubts over this transfer. Not not that I don't think he's good enough. Of course not. He's more than, more than good enough. But... A lot of the older reports seem to be just sources claim in Russian media, which you see all the time. You've seen that with Kokorin, you've seen that with Zuba, you see it with Azmoon every single year linked to English clubs and so on. But it's it's the ones in Italy that are interesting. And in Italian so Italian media are probably one of the best at finding out these secrets, or Italian clubs are the worst at keeping them because you see the ridiculous amount of rumours that, that spread from Italy and from the Italian media. So that... that 
looking at the 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 weight of how these these ways how these this is developing it, it looks like it's it could be the real deal and hopefully for Marantruk and for the RPL he gets that move because he thoroughly deserves it next we'll just do a quick roundup of some of the key matches from the last two game weeks starting off with Zenit Siska now I thought Siska held their own for large parts to their credit as well especially considering how ruthless Zenit have been since the restart after Covid last season but they just looked a little bit toothless for large parts of the game and even the Zenit themselves were without Yaroslav Rakitsky at the back and on that, actually, special mention to Douglas Santos, who he, he filled in for Lekitsky at centre-back and was he was very, very good. He didn't look an inch out of place whatsoever. And he's, to be honest, he had better positioning than some people who play centre-back the whole career. Kof, Ilya Kutupov, Kof. But <laughs> anyway, Andrew, what did you think of the game? Did you enjoy it? And was there anything that stood out for you? Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Douglas Santos was a, an excellent replacement at centre-back. I was concerned for Zanit's part about how they would cope. But then, yeah, because we knew Adolfo Geich was always going to be, well, let's say he's going to, he was going to take time to settle into the, into the side. But he's a big lad. So I thought, well, he's got a huge height advantage over Douglas Santos. Um, Lovren, we know, likes to think of himself as a ball-playing centre-back, so could get caught out of position. Um, so I thought that might have been an opportunity. But Santos didn't look out of place. He didn't look hurried. Um, for me, it was pretty much exactly how I expected the game to go, to be honest. Um, Tisco, you got to remember, they're missing... They were missing Chaloff, and that is a big miss for them because I know he's not been in the greatest goal-scoring form for well since the start of last season, to be honest with you. But he has started picking up in recent weeks, and he offers something more than Gaichi settled uh, and all that. Constantine Maradishvili, for me, is... I don't know what to make of him. I think his role is clearly very basic, just break-up play. But it wasn't really the sort of team to, to have a player like that on the side, if that makes sense. Because with Zanit's four-man midfield, Ozdoyev and Barrios tend not to roam through the middle. They get their, Zanit get their, well, advancing the ball forward out wide. They play wingers. So Maradish really, for me, was almost, it always looked like he was looking around, scurrying around for something to do. And when he went off early on in the second half, uh, I thought that was a sensible decision because he was he was going to get a second yellow card for me. Um, so that was at least sensible decision-making, I think, by uh, Viktor Gonchalenko. But let's be honest, and he didn't really ever look truly, truly troubled. Um, Descartes always had moments, and Vlasic can, like we saw, his goals, unbelievable. I mean, just carries the ball half the length of the pitch, turns inside about three players, smacks it in the far corner, uh, I'll tell you one thing, what I will say for Tesco and Vlasic in particular, his reaction to Asmin's second goal, he went absolutely ballistic on the sideline. I mean, he really, he cares. He's practically a leader of that team already. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. and, you, know, for, you know one thing, James, for me, I always forget he's only 22. Vlasic, for me, feels like he's been around the game for, well, I mean, he has been around the game for a good four or five years, but he feels like he's far more experienced than even that. So, uh I wonder how long he'll stay in the Russian Premier League. I think, to be honest, you could probably say that about the majority of Siska's team. People like Oblyakov and Akhmetov. It's it's very easy to forget just how young these lads are, to be honest. And Maradishvili, I think, I, I agree, he's, he looks okay. To be honest, he looks like he's just trying to be a poor man's Akhmetov. And I don't want to insult him by that. I, I, I really highly rate Akhmetov. I think he's a great footballer. And he's... 
obviously not as experienced. He's a lot younger. He came through a couple of years later. But he's just trying to have the same role in the team. And I thought Siska had more punch in the midfield and much more presence when Jacques Bijol came on. And he, he wasn't great himself. He, he didn't have the best of games, but his sheer presence in the middle really pushed Zenit back a little bit. And you could see that's when Siska came into the run a little bit at the end. I, I must admit, I was disappointed by Gaich's performance. He, he didn't have a single shot or pass in the box. He, and he, he only completed 10 touches and five passes in the entire time he was on the pitch. Now, Richard, do you think this is perhaps just a transitional period for him, just arriving in the country? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, he's only been in Russia a short while. I think only around two weeks, in fact. Um, so he obviously needs time to adapt and to find his rhythm, both you know, off the pitch um, and also in training and matches with his teammates. He's, he's going to need time. Uh, it's going to take time. I think as well, the Argentine league, like a lot of South America, has not been playing uh, recently because the COVID situation over there has been pretty bad. So, you know, he's going to take it's going to take a little bit of time. I think he's still in the adaptation period. Although, admittedly, he was very disappointing at Zanit. Um, however, I do think we can only really judge him further down the line when he's fully integrated and, crucially, when he's paired up with Fyodor Chalov, um in a two-strike formation. Honestly, I think that's what they're going to have to do if they bought a player like Geish, because we were saying it on the pod um, a few weeks ago that Chalov needs help, help up front. Um, and I do feel that Goncharenko could well eventually switch to a four a three four one two formation, you know, with Lasic in behind and with Geish and um Chaloff up front. Um that's what I think he will do to accommodate the pair of them when Chaloff is back fit again and when uh, when Geish is settled. And on the game, yeah, I think Siska I mean, Zenit were functional, they did what they had to do. Uh they didn't they weren't superb themselves, but you know, still very good and solid, consistent. Totally agree with you on um, Santos' performance at centre half. I really was expecting him to play Proc in there, um, but you know, Santos showed his uh, versatility and uh, did a very good, sound, solid job. And one thing I will say is the goal from uh, Vlasic was absolutely brilliant. Um, I loved the way he ran and then beat the defenders, cut inside, and gave Kurtzkoff no chance in the Zenit goal with that finish. Although kudos as well to um, uh, uh, Sardar Asmund with his second goal. I thought that was a beautifully disguised finish because it was a good cutback from Karaviev across the box. And how many times have we seen it when that happens? When it's in and around just on that line of the box. How many times have we seen attacking players just sky one over there? I love the way he just delicately caressed that ball into the bottom corner. It's a lovely finish because it's so easy to just get your foot under it and send it into Rose Z. It was a lovely finish from Asmoon. And um, yeah, Zenit looked comfortable enough. Um, you know, not in top gear, but they didn't have to be. That's the thing with Zenit. They are a cut above the rest at the moment. And they don't have to be in top gear to, to win games. Um, but I think, yeah, Siska, they're still a young side and Geish needs time. Yeah, certainly. I, I really want to echo that about Asmoon as well. He's always found positions in the box. He's always been that sort of character where he's like, I, I remember when the World Cup came around and there was this, this joke about Suarez being a rodent, finding small spaces. Obviously, the teeth come into it, but that's kind of like Asmoon. He, he, he's always constantly ghosting into positions where the defenders just haven't got a clue where he is. And the biggest difference between that at Rostov and Rubin and now at Zenit is is those finishes. He, he could have skied that easily for Rostov and Rubin. And to be honest, he probably would have. But now he's got the experience, he's got the confidence, he's got players playing alongside him who are at his level. And it's just absolute delights to watch. Now, moving on a little bit further from Moscow, we're going back to Moscow again as Dinamo kept up their fine win with a hard-fought 2-0 win over Rostov. Despite starting the game poorly, they took a two-goal lead at the break thanks to Maximilian Filip and Nikolai Komlachenko. But that is the defence you've got to look at first. 
They aren't just unbeaten after three matches, but they still haven't conceded a single goal yet. Now, Richard, you mentioned previously you were impressed by Roman Yevgenev. It's really good to see him coming into his own now. He's starting regularly, don't you think? Yeah, it's not just the midfield at Dinamo at the moment, which is undergoing um, a bit of a refresh and a revolution this campaign. Um, as you said, we were saying Buvac earlier. He's coming now and there's the desire now to move on with younger players with Dinamo, make them younger, make them more energetic, that kind of thing. Um, add some vibrancy to them. Um, and Roman Yevgeny have come into the side in uh, central defence. He now looks to be regular first choice uh, starting central defender alongside um, Ivan Odets. Uh, and in all three games so far that I've seen, that Dino have played so far and I've seen, uh, he's looked very good. Um, ha- Rostov was the one game, though, where I think he was my man of the match. Um, he was he, wore, he won a lot of balls in um, aerial duels. His positioning was good. You know, he positioned himself well to intercept um, balls through into um, Dinamo's box. He marshaled the movement well of Rostov's attackers. I know the official man of the match in the game was given to Nikolai Komachenka uh, for his goal, uh, which he scored from the corner to make it 2-0. However, on fcdin.com, um, fcdin.com uh, yeah, a Dinamo fan um, website, there was a poll of 3,192 fans when I last checked, and apparently Yevgenia received uh, 1,134 votes compared to Komachenka's 1,094 in the fans' uh, man of the match choice. So obviously, as well, you know, they... You know, I wasn't just the only one bleating the drum about him. Obviously, he's caught the eye of the fans as well, who were both at the stadium and watching it on the television. Um, yeah, so far, defensively, Dinamo, they've looked very solid. Uh, I think they're the only side not to concede a goal yet, which is, is very good. Three members of the back four playing very, very well at the moment. Um, Dimitri Skopins have two. I thought he was superb against uh, Rotor um, the other day. Um, as well, even though Dinamo didn't win the game, I thought his all-round performance could have done with some bits and polishing up in attack, possibly, but still some good runs. And then is defensively, he looks like he is improving the defensive side of his game, which is a really good thing. And that's that's great for Spornaya going forward too. You know, he has potential to be first choice left back for Spornaya in the future. Um, the only one at the minute at the back four who I'd say is quite not so great for Dinamo at the minute is uh, Sergei Pashevyuk. He's 31-32 now, the right back. Um, he's looked a bit below par so far. So I don't know if it's absolutely urgent at the moment, but if there's probably one more position I'd look to possibly strengthen soon for Dinamo, it's probably for the, it's that. But again, we don't know what finances dictate. It might involve moving another player on or two before that in the fullback roles. But but yeah, um, you know, Yevgeny has been a fundamental part of how Dinamo have been playing recently. Um, the defensive strength. Um, and, you know, it, what's great about it all is, is you know, so many times over the last, well, you know, for the last three, four, five years, we've been saying when Ignashevich and um, the Berezitskas retire about Russia's lack of young defenders and they're struggling to find them. And now we're seeing Yevgeniev emerge at, at Dinamo, um, Diveyev at Siska, Maslov now at, at Spartak and, and one or two others. You know, it, it's, it's encouraging science. It really is. Um, but yeah, I've been impressed with Yevgeniev so, Yevgeniev so far and um, hopefully he can continue this um, this upward trend going forward. Yeah, if I, if I continue the trend I mentioned, Skopinsev, who you said yourself, is it's actually quite interesting that Skopinsev is the fourth highest rated player in terms of statistical index out of anybody in the RPL. I think he's only behind Zuba, 
Moranchuk and King's Kangwa, who's been playing out of his skin for Arsenal Tula. So just shows how bloody good Scott Binsev has been, that he's finally getting first-team football again since he left Krasnodar. Now, Andrew, I must admit, I did laugh when you mentioned in our RFN chat that you're still tremendously annoyed by Maximilian Phillips' overall presence. <laughs> I thought he had a good game. I thought he was fine. Uh, how did you think he played? And what about Rostov? Well, yeah, I mean, he's clearly okay. I will be. I will face. I will fight fair for a moment. He is clearly a quality player, and you know, Dynamo didn't pay twenty odd million euros for him for nothing. Um, but that is basically the problem for me. When you're that good, there is clearly a, a temptation when you come to a league which is not as challenging as the Bundesliga. There's no point trying to pretend it's anywhere near that level. Um, the temptation is to just stroll through matches. And for me, that's what he has largely done in his career at Dynamo. He's, most of his goals have come from the penalty spot. And he, he did take his penalty well. But uh, I think he could do so much more. I think he really could... Now, you, you mentioned earlier about Nicola Moro. Do Dynamo need um, midfield? And I know Philip is further forward, but he effectively is the creative hub. And I just think he's he, he's a he's a bit too slow for my liking. I think he probably does have a bit more pace, but just chooses not to use it. Chooses to be the languid playmaker. And I think he's uh, I don't know. I mean, look, we okay. He, here's something for me: Kirill Panchenko has left the club and gone to Tambov. And I'm not saying he is necessarily a better player tactically, technically, than Maximilian Philip, but I think he's a more effective one. I genuinely do, with his level of motivation. Um, but Rostov, uh, okay, I'll move away from Philip Obweisol. It'll be just one of my rants that go on for half an hour tonight. Um, Rostov, I'm concerned about. They have really, really struggled this calendar year. And, and I know that a lot of that is down to the effects of their... They had a, that bout of coronavirus positive tests and a lot of the senior players. And the, the thing people need to remember about this is we never know, unless we're literally there in person, exactly what extent the coronavirus infection has. For some people, you barely notice it. But it can be seriously debilitating in your breathing and your overall fitness levels. And to recover from that can be quite a long knock-on effect, potentially. But I, I am worried about them. I, they, their midfield, their creativity is built around very old players, realistically. Um, uh, when you've got Pavel Mamaev, Vivalin Popov, um, Yeremienko, these are all guys well over 30. And, okay, Zainutinov is a, a really good pickup for them. Um, he's been good since he's gone into the first team. But I worry about their team. And also, you've got to remember... Um, the Eldor Shomurodov, who was last season got, what, 11 goals, was it? 10, 11, 12 goals? Almost all of them yeah. were before the winter break. And since then, I don't even, I don't know if he scored, was it one goal, I think, this calendar year? Yeah. And they rely so scored heavily. one before the COVID break, but hasn't scored since he came back from the COVID break. I, I think it's something like 10 games, basically, or 8, 9, 10 games he hasn't scored. And now that is a major problem when he is effectively their only decent striker um the young players they've had who've who've come off come off the bench for him on occasion and um, Proshnikov for example look I, I'd be honest hopeless um I, I'd be curious to see what the the young Macedonian striker they brought in um how he'll do but you know he's only 19 coming into a new league so again it's a it's a concern for me um so Dinamo weren't overly troubled um but they could have really put the game to bed if um, Maximilian Philip had actually bothered turning up. 
Yeah, I've just got to laugh at that, Andrew, with the, with the hatred for Maximilian Philip because I, I do agree. He does come across as arrogant at times. And, and there's, I mentioned before, there's a couple of times in a referee speaking to him and, and kind of giving him a dressing down, and he just couldn't care less what the referee's saying. But I thought he played really well. <laughs> and next, it's come to that time of the week again where I've got my now obligatory Spartak discussion. We can call it the start of the Spartak minute. But for once, it was actually relatively calm and unheralded as we go over at Tashina. It's really good to see Jordan Larson turning on the style once again and continued the magnificent form of, only for the, sorry, the magnificent form of Alexander Belenov, stop Spartak picking up full points against Ufa as well as Akmat. And that's the end of the Spartak minute. <laughs> now, it's for sure been a weakness for Spartak of late. Under Tedesco, they conceded more goals from set pieces, and that's the defending. They conceded more goals from set pieces than any other side in the RPL. Now, speaking of Achilles' heel, it seems like Ruben's getting bigger by the week. They were up and cruising against Sochi before conceding twice in the last five minutes. But Yuri Chupin made three uncharacteristic mistakes as he was duped. Both by Miha Melvia's injury feigning and Christina Boas' free kick. They're now without a win this season and many sectors of their fan base are calling for Stutsky to be sacked. Now he's just not quite extracting enough out of what is a talented squad in my opinion. But Andrew, do you think Slutsky should go so early? Uh, absolutely not, no. Um, he de- definitely are underperforming. And I, before the season started, I I predicted that they would finish comfortably in the top half. And I, I don't think that looks like very likely at the moment. Um, they basically look like they have the same problems as last season, except last season they had, I think, the third best defensive record uh, in, in the Premier League. And this season they've conceded the most so far with six. So... They don't even have their defensive solidity to fall back on at the moment. I mean, Georgia Despotovic was, a, I think, a very good signing, arguably the most important one, because they simply lacked that attacking, biting edge up front. But when you've already got Ivan Ignatiev, who is, well, uh, let's say his star is starting to fade, but he is still a young star. He's the golden boy, the signing that cost a reasonable amount of money by Rubin standards anyway. And he is a very talented player, but he's he's got to start scoring goals. Otherwise, he can't justify his place in the side. Um, as for Slutsky staying or going, for me, it's a well, it's as an outsider, I don't have a you know have a dispassionate, objective view. I would say it would be silly to get rid of him because, firstly, he may not be the most tactically innovative managers around, but he commands respect and he does know how. The Russian Premier League works. He's, you know, he's been successful at um, Tsk and Moscow. He won three titles with them. Got through to Champions League knockout stages. And I think with Rubin, he can manage characters. He can manage big names. And I'm not saying Rubin have huge names. Or they're not full of divisive characters like German playmakers. But they have enough quality there. Um, I just think a bit of patience is needed. He needs to start getting the best out of him fairly soon. But to get rid of him now, I honestly don't know what it would achieve. What what would be the purpose of that? You don't just sack a manager because they're doing badly. You sack a manager because you know what you're going to do next. You know what type of football you want to play and who is available to bring in. And I, I just I don't really see what it would achieve for Rubin. We know that they're not going to get top five. I mean, it's not trying to be rude to them, but there are more than five better sides than them in the league. But they certainly could push for a solid mid-table position and from that platform, you know, hopefully improve in the future. So who is really going to guarantee them top five football? And if you can't, what's the point of getting rid of Slutsky? They're not going down. 
I very, very much doubt they will go down. So I don't see what it would achieve. And Richard, just quickly, what do you think? Do you think it's also a bit premature or would you get rid? No, I agree with Andrew. It's too soon to be even contemplating that. Um, it's too early. Uh, I think Rubin will improve as the season goes on. Um, they, I mean, like I say, Slutsky, if they get rid of him too, who are they going to bring in to replace him? You know, they'd have to go, you know, um, would they have to go abroad? I mean, I don't think there's many Russian managers who they could find who would be of, um, you know, a similar quality and pedigree to him. They probably have to go abroad again. That's fraught with risk. You know, um, Gracia only lasted one year there, Javi Gracia before, before leaving. So no, I think it's too premature to call for Sutsky to go right now. Um, he needs time. I think Espotovic is the new striker. They do have to sort out of that defence, though. Um, that was a strength for them last season. And to already have, have the worst defence in the league three games in, that's going to be a concern because, you know, they were up against Sochi and then letting two goals from a set piece, that's that's really not good. But I think it's far too soon to be calling for any talk of Slutsky to go. I think it, it's too it's too soon. They, I think he will turn it round. But I definitely do agree with what Andrew said. Um, they're going to have to have a decision to make on the striker soon because, you know, Ignatius star is starting to fade, like we were saying. And, you know, um, makes you wonder, doesn't it? Like, they've crashed it up, pulled an absolutely superb one here by, by selling when they did because there was all the palaver with his contract a couple of um, years ago before he left to join Rubin and eventually did end up signing the deal. But, you know... Um, there was all that going on in the background. They threw the hat in with uh, Magomed Shapley Suleimanov instead of him, instead of uh, Mignacev. And at the minute, you'd have to say, yeah, Krasnodar's decision has been totally vindicated. You know, he needs to start scoring soon, Ignatiev. Um, he wants to keep his, keep his place in that side because Despotovic has been brought in for to provide him with some um, goal threat up front. Um, so, yeah, but, it's, but on the general question of Slutsky, it's far, far too early to... Well, maybe not far too early, but it's too early to be contemplating getting rid of him now. I think it, they've got to make a decision and stick with him for the time being. Yeah, and Ignatiev, it seems like he's a, he's a bit like Ilya Zhugalev, who bossed the younger the younger levels, absolutely bossed the youth league and for Krasnodar too, and then never really made that step up at the, and is quite struggling actually to make that step up, but hopefully he does. There's definitely been signs of improvement. Some of his runs in behind, which is his bread and butter, have been quite good, but there's the the links that I've seen with uh, always obviously Sport Bio had a quick rumor up of Berdiev, which any single time any Rubin manager gets sacked or is p- perhaps under threat or whatever, Kerber Berdiev's name will always be waiting in the wings. Yeah, guaranteed. <laughs> Don't know if that's going to solve their issues. I mean, it will solve the defensive issues without a doubt, but the defensive issues isn't inherently from Slutsky's problem it's because the two centre backs aren't good enough and the best centre backs constantly stuck out at right back it's not the system that's the issue the the problem here is the opposite the system is far too defensive when people and players when the attacking players get the ball the 30 40 yards down the pitch and only Kavisha Karkovatskelia can beat 10 men and then get whipped the ball in you can't expect every player to do that they're all not superhuman like him it's it's crazy but saying that there's it's far too early if even consider sacking Slutsky. Like, he's a proven massive success in this level and in this league. And you can't just give him the job for what, six months, if that, and then get rid with everything that's going on in the world right now. And it, it, it just seems a little bit mental. And they're not, they're not going to get relegated. And not only that, sorry, sorry, come here as well. Not only that as well, how much longer can Berdiev really go on for? You know, I mean, gradually he's going to start dropping as a manager too. So he's not going to be around, 
you know, you know, he's he's in his late sixties now. So yeah, I think going keep harking back to Berdyev. I think Rubin really need to move on from Berdyev now. You know, I think give Slutsky some time. And look with Slutsky, if any man risks his footballing career by deciding to climb up a tree, save a cat, and then falls out of said tree and has to retire from football, <laughs> you're a good person and you deserve a chance in life. <laughs> so. As one last quick, 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 kick, quick, quack, quick, quack, I can't talk. As one last quick kick, it was great to see Victor Klaassen get back to playing over a year out injured as he saw the last 15 minutes of Krasador's 2-0 win of Arsenal Tula. Now, as you all might have noticed, there was a one glaring omission there. And finally, seeing as you got your citizenship, Andrew, this week's team in focus has to be Ural. Since the last podcast, they were easily swept aside by Dinamo. The team were unbeaten after 1-1 draws against Ruben and Loco. And now, particularly in the second game, your boys are brilliant especially Ilya Pomazun in goal. Were you surprised to see him in for God's year, or was it just a matter of time? Yeah, it was It was a slightly odd signing um, initially when he came in on loan. And because Yadisav God's year is, I mean, he's, what, 35 now, so he's not going to be playing forever. But he has been a really, really good servant for the club. He was, I voted him second in my player of the, play of the season two seasons ago. Um, and he's... He's not really made any glaring mistakes. So to see Pomzun in the lineup was was a bit of a surprise. But he was extremely good. He made some really important saves. He had one slightly slightly dodgy moment where he came out for a punch and he didn't quite make contact with it, but he, he managed to scramble back and, and make amends. Uh, it wasn't a lot he could have done with the goal right to the death because it was from such close range. And he he impressed me. He was he was very good. When you when you are backups, you've got Akin Faith. You've got to wonder, sort of, <laughs> not what's the point, but so sort of, how do you go away on loan and and risk sort of drifting out from being part of a really good club? Um, I think it was good time for Pomsun to come on loan, um, but really only if he gets games. And he, he's earned his place in the side for me. Um, Godzio, I, I think, really could play the experienced guiding hand, shall we say. They shouldn't rotate too much, but give Pomsun a few games because he could be a very, very good player for them. Uh, I, I must ask, you mentioned player of the season. Have you voted for anybody else's player of the season who isn't Eric Bicfalvi for the last three years or not? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit <laughs> difficult to, to vote for anyone else, isn't it, really? Um, I certainly haven't been voting for Vladimir Ilyin, I'll tell you that much. Um, but um, <laughs> actually, I I mean, Bicfalvi is the, by far and away the standout, standout player for the club. Um, Otman Elkabir has had some really impressive moments the last year or two. Um, but for me, the player who constantly gets overlooked... And when I speak to the journalists in Newcastle, though, very few players, very few of them mention him, is uh, Andrei Yegorichev. For me, he's he's an absolute fantastic player because he never wastes possession. He's always looking to progress play instead of letting it slow down. But so often he gets shunted out to the wing. And when he plays in the middle alongside Rafael Augustiniak, for me, it's the perfect midfield pairing for a club of Odal standards. Because you've got the energy, you've got Rafael for the defensive work, Yegorichev can be the link between him and Bikfalvi for forward, and it works really well. Um, but no, Bikfalvi, he's he's going to be player of the season probably for the next two or three seasons, I think. <laughs> I must say, Yegorichev's goal against Local was a brilliant finish as well. First time instinctive, and, and Guillermo had absolutely no oh, chance. fabulous. Now, we all predicted that Ural would struggle in various terms of relegation, playoffs, maybe just surviving and so off and so on. But that was on the proviso that they did not strengthen. 
And to the credit, since then, they have bought, brought quite wisely. They brought in Daniel Miskic from Orenberg, Vladimir Rykov, who was a free agent, recently released by Dinamo, uh, Vyacheslav Podborozhkin, but from Rubin. And they're also, according to reports, set to sign a certain Stefan Strandberg. Now, <laughs> Andrew, you actually mentioned him by name in la- last time we discussed Ural. So it would be silly to ask that you're quite ecstatic about the possibility of Strandberg returning. <laughs> oh, that would be absolutely out of this world. You mentioned player of the season. When when he came in on loan from uh, for, from Krasnodar, it was, was it, uh, a year ago, basically. He came in in the winter break 2019 only played the second half of the season, well, technically less than the second half of the season, um, and he was very, very close to Big Falvey for player of the season for me. That's how much of an effect he had. And he, he people forget, really, because he's never really managed to hold down uh, a first-team place for very long since he's been in Russia, although he's been here a while. He's, he's about 28 years old now, but he was a Norway under-21 youth captain and he's a he's an absolute leader. He is confident. My God, he is confident, verging on the arrogant. And in a way, that's the sort of character that I just simply haven't had in defence um, for, for for quite some time since we had Pablo Fontanello at the back. And my God, we need it. Now with Vladimir Rikov, if Stramberg joined as well, suddenly you've got a lot of experience. You've got enough pace and mobility with, uh, with Strandberg. Uh, Igor Kalinin has been absolutely excellent at left back and um, Denis Kulikov at right back has, has been a brilliant servant I know he's experienced and he won't be allowed for long but um, suddenly you've got a defence that looks quite decent which is not something Ural traditionally have um, and like you mentioned with those other signings Miskic was was good in central midfield Bobby Roskin um, returning to the club is is a really good signing too and I suspect what we'll see is a slight change in in tactical setup with Rodel. Traditionally, we played with wingers, a simple 4-2-3-1 with Nikolai Dimitrov on the right wing, cutting in with his bit more pace, Otman El-Kabir on the left with his trickery. Uh, El-Kabir is, well, officially injured. I suspect, really, he's on his way out of the club. And I think what Rodel will now do is play more centrally and rely on Kulikov and Kalin in getting forward for the width, which, in a way, is going to, be, is going to get more out of all the players. Um, because Eric Bitfalvi needs players around him. And Pobby Roskin is not really a winger. He has played out wide for Oral a few years ago, but him and uh, Daniel Miskic in the middle as an addition to Augustiniak and Yuvodichev. And suddenly, all we need now, I'd say, is a, a striker who can actually score goals, um, which, of course, everybody wants. But you've got to remember, Oral have not had, a, have not had anybody score uh, gets double figures in the league for seven or eight years now. Um, so, Jesus. add a goal scorer. I know it's depressing, isn't it? Really. Um, here's here's one for you. <laughs> Guess who who do you boys think was the top goal scorer in the 2016-2017 season, and how many goals did he get? Just off the top of your heads. <laughs> it's uh, a name we have mentioned in our chat recently. Not. Surely not. <laughs> Surely not. Yes, I will say now. Yes, you are right. Vladimir Ilyin. Is it? No. And he oh, he joined. Wow. He joined. He joined in the winter. He only he only got four goals, but and he was still top goal scorer. <laughs> I was I was about to mention Ilyin, and I thought he but he joined in the winter. How? Surely he <laughs> exactly. wouldn't have had enough time. That's crazy. Exactly. 
<laughs> oh, no, I know. So add a goal scorer and Oral Champions League. No problem. <laughs> Richard, on these transfers, Reitkov's been a rock, so, but he was a rock for quite a long time for Dinamo. And he played quite well in the last two games and tightened the defence up quite a bit. Now, Andrew mentioned Strandberg as being that fiery character, that sort of arrogance that you really need to, to sometimes play. Now, alongside that, often you see a wiser older head or somebody with a bit more experience who just calms it down and brings everybody around them. And do you think maybe that's what Ural have been desperately looking for for a while now? Yeah, quite possibly. Um, yeah, I say um, defensively now with some reinforcements looking good. And, you know, we've already seen Strandberg, you know, we've seen him play. He's got a good reputation in uh, Russian football. And um, yeah, I think Rukov is a decent signing for a role. You know, he's played a, lot, a good amount of football over the last three years for Dinamo, um, usually between 15 and 20 games, sometimes on the bench. Uh, but mainly as a mainly as a starter, you know, when he's not too old at 32, uh, he turns 33 in November. He could, pending performance, you know, be resigned on a year-by-year basis by Ural, um, as he's understandably only on a one-year deal. I expect, you know, there'll probably be options to extend it. Um, overall, though, yeah, I think it's a sensible pick-up from Ural. You know, I think it's he'll do a, a good, reliable job for them, I think. Yeah, it was one of those where Dinamo don't really need him anymore. They're looking, as you mentioned before, to, towards younger players, towards Odets, especially now to take up that recover role. But that's just something Ural desperately needed. Last year, they had players playing out of position. They had people not performing terribly, despite playing well in the past. And, and others, like Arasimov, just not getting a look in whatsoever. So it seems like they're on the right track, at least. And I'm sure you'll be delighted with that, Andrew. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's been it, this week's episode of the RFN podcast. Check out the website at russianfootballnews.com, as always. This weekend, Spartak of our first Moscow derby of the season as they host Loco at the Otkritia. Hopefully we'll derail Lokomotiv's unbeaten run under new boss Marco Nikolic. I've been James Nichols, and that's at James Nichols on Twitter. Richard, where can everyone find you online? Yeah, you can find me at um, at RichDPike89. At RichDPike89. And Andrew? Uh, on Twitter at Andrew M-I-J Flint. And if anyone is just tuning in again and didn't catch our restart towards the COVID break again, Andrew, you run a website called Heart of Football as well. Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, Richard's written some brilliant articles on there too. So if you want some yeah, some interesting stories, we go into some feature articles, we go a bit of nostalgia, just place a visit there at heartof.football. That's been it for the RFN podcast. Goodbye for now. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля, быстрота, увлечение, расчет.